Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Eric Odom. Eric is a commercial broker located in Tampa, Florida, and focused on the acquisition and management of many different asset classes, including retail, office, land, and industrial. So thank you so much for being on the show, Eric. Hey, Charles. Thanks for having me. So what was your background prior to starting and running your current brokerage? I was a, a commercial real estate um, a lender with a bank, with a local bank. And um, ended up getting scoffed up by Bank of America. Um, and in between there, I, was, I went to graduate school and then also ran a, uh, an import business for a while and, um, and ended up back in commercial real estate. It's kind of where my, where my roots are. My family was in real estate. So um, it's probably where I feel most comfortable. That's awesome that you have the lending background too. That much really, must really assist your clients when you're working with them to purchase properties. Yeah, I mean, the lending game's changed a bit. Obviously, um, you know, I think uh, the uh, prime rate was seven or eight percent when I was in <laughs> banking. So um, times have changed quite a bit, right? I mean, things are considerably different now than um, than they were then uh, in terms of the interest rate environment. But yeah, I mean, there's there's some uh, understanding how to underwrite a credit that hasn't changed; it's still the same. And I certainly can sort of separate the wheat from the chafe uh, on the on the on the lending side for sure. So can you give us a little background on your firm, Florida ROI, what services you guys offer and asset classes you guys focus on and um, geographic areas within Florida? Yeah, we're based in Tampa and handle the greater Tampa Bay region um, all the way to, to Orlando, depending on asset class size. Uh, we mostly focus on the retail market, but we also have um, we also do industrial and, and, and office as well. Not so much multifamily. Um, you know, residential stuff's a different animal. Not that we haven't transacted multifamily. Uh, we, we, have, we have done a lot of multifamily. It's just not something we, we focus on. It's sort of a different animal. Yeah. Um, but most of your, your other commercial-related uh, assets we, we deal in, and from a management standpoint, uh, sort of that sweet spot for us is the five to 50,000 square foot retail neighborhood center. That's sort of our, that's sort of our bread and butter. Okay. So what is the state of commercial real estate right now for retail and office in, in greater Tampa throughout Florida and has demand started picking up since COVID? Well, let's start with industrial. Cause I think that's the asset class that probably has undergone the most hmm. changes over the past uh, decade. We're, we're seeing a phenomenal move from retail into industrial because of the internet. Amazon started mm -hmm. that. The people think about Amazon. It's not all just Amazon. We have janitorial supply companies who sell online. Uh, we have, uh, you know, there's, uh, I'm, I'm looking right now for, we've got an assignment with a company that manufactures windows and doors. And uh, they're, they're looking for um, of space and they sell online. They also distribute through Home Depot and whatnot. So the internet's made a big change and it's consolidated a lot of what's happening in retail. Industrial is something I've never seen before. 
If the market's completely on fire, and this is across all asset classes, that sizes mm. and, and product type. Uh, for example, there's a waiting list right now uh, we have with clients that are, would traditionally be your construction, um, you know, uh, tradesmen, mm. your carpenters, your plumbers. Uh, those guys want 2,000 square feet. They can park trucks, maybe park a vehicle overnight and put tools. And there's just no product available for them. It's hotter than a pistol. It's not going to change. Zoning does not change fast enough. Planning and zoning inside of municipalities don't change fast enough. They have not handled this change very well. They do not handle changes uh, quickly. So there's a lot of what would be considered a commercial general, which is more of your retail and office space that needs to be converted, frankly, into industrial because there's not enough dirt to go around to, to, to fill those industrial spaces. And we're having to do uh, zoning changes to force some of those uh, hands on some of those. But if the, the comprehensive plan doesn't allow it, then it's, it's, hard, it's hard to do anything about it. Uh, but there's a big backlog there. That's really all you need to know. The, on the retail side, it's interesting. Retail and office probably has two of the biggest misconceptions uh, that are out there. And we talk to people all the time. They go, oh, you're in retail. You must be doing terrible. <laughs> no. That's a big, big misconception. People see International Mall, they think that's retail. That's a fraction of the retail market. The biggest by square footage portion of the retail market is your neighborhood center. That's your Publix anchored center, your, your, your Whole Foods anchored center. Um, those things aren't going anywhere. And it's not going to change. People say, well, there's all kinds of vacancy. That is nonsense. Drive them down any of the roads, the, the, the main thoroughfares in any of your major cities. And if you've got a, if you've got a thriving grocery store, there's th those centers are filled and there's, there's a fight for, for space. So I think people have to be careful when they're saying all retail is bad. It's not or saying retail is bad. There are sectors of the retail market that are under extreme duress. And that's your covered mall. Anything that can be replaced by the internet is under duress. But your drugstores, your 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 uh, your your anchor, you know, your like we've got a center that's uh that's got a large national restaurant chain in it, and they did really well during the, the during COVID. Um, but everybody's still in there. Everybody's still happy. We're not all of the delinquency has dried up. We're not we're not really seeing any historical change from the norm on the, on, on the retail side uh, in terms of delinquency. But yeah, the covered malls are in bad shape. The big box stuff is in, big, in bad shape, but they're reinventing themselves. The targets and the bed, bed, you know, bed Bath & Beyonds and the, uh, and the Best Buys, they're, they're, they're changing. They're downsizing their footprint. They're splitting their boxes. People still want to go and look at a, a, electronics before they buy. There's, they're just adjusting and times are adjusting and it's a retail is not a problem uh, except for the covered mall. The, the office space is a different animal. And again, we have the same people say office. No one's going back in the office. That's nonsense. Mm -hmm. We, we talk every day with C-level execs and they're planning about what to do next, how to plan next. You cannot build a company culture with zoom. I'm going to say that again. You cannot build a company culture with Zoom. And that's what I hear repeatedly from people that are making decisions. This is just not something somebody read in Newsweek or the, or the Wall Street Journal. No. This is what's happening in the street. And 
most C-level execs want to get their employees back in the office as soon as possible. Now, will there be a change in how they work? Yes, we believe that. We believe that that there's going to be, because they, they've seen people be able to go home and be, and some, not all, have been productive. And some people are good workers just to be left alone. Others, what they've seen is that the social fabric of the company, of the organization, is very um, important to that productivity of that employee. And they're trying to shake that out now. They're trying to figure out how, what, they're, what it's going to look like. Do I think they're going to take a bigger footprint or lesser footprint? Yes, I do. I think that they're, are, they going to, are they going to try to downsize? Are they going to not expand as much as they were in terms of floor, floor space? Yes, I believe that too. But office is not going away. Don't let anybody tell you that. It's nonsense. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we, we have, right now in, Hill, in, in Hillsborough County, we have a very high level of sublease space. In other words, space coming back on the market. But that's going to evaporate fairly quickly. Just from my conversations that I'm having with people, they're not giving up their office space. They're just rethinking how they're going to use it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I totally agree with that. I'm located in St. Pete, so Tampa Bay as well area. And uh, right behind our place, there is a anchor public center with probably 15 other retail storefronts and maybe two have left since COVID or two are vacant right now and yeah. small ones, right? Like an insurance yeah. agency and uh, something else, but that might've gone online. But it's funny that you say that about the offices. I was talking to a, a developer last week out of San Jose, so Silicon Valley, and he was telling me that the the week that Jack Dorsey came out in the beginning of COVID from Twitter and saying that now everybody from Twitter can work at home for like the rest of their life or whatever he said, uh, they got an LOI to from Twitter to lease their whole building that they had just finished developing. So it goes to show you that it's, it's people that are listening. You know, it's people that are listening to what they listen to. You know, if they're listening to multifamily and someone's pushing them this way or they're listening to self-storage and, hey, this is why everything else is uh, not the asset class to go. But it's just very interesting when you hear that because whenever I talk to actual retail office investors, they're buying more. Um, I'm actually talking to... Um, one of my family members is from one of those large uh, retail centers high, higher up. And he says that they're now looking to buy locations that, so it's, it's completely opposite of what you would think from obviously listening to the news, which is, which is no surprise, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, people listening to the news, they read the paper, they're getting some cursory, the press loves, um, you know, controversy. And so, <laughs> you know, hey, you know, the next big commercial real estate is the office market's going to implode. Look, in New York City, that's not Florida. Yeah. New York City, how are they going to get people to come back in, in, uh, into the main city? I think eventually it's going to change because at the end of the day, I keep telling my people and, my, and our investors that, we'll, that, that we manage properties for, at the end of the day, people are going to be people. And if you're going to bet against them needing human interaction, you are going to lose, period. And, and so what we're seeing, and this is the type of things that are, we'll see if it materializes or not, but the conversations that are being had, a lot of folks that are saying, I'm not sure I'm comfortable going back into an elevator again. My people are comfortable going into an elevator again. The fact that we got locked out during COVID was a very uncomfortable situation. And we're not sure we want that environment again, but we know we need to have the interaction with our, with our peers, with our the folks inside of our company. So what about the suburb offices? Let me tell you what, the suburb offices 
have been dead. Yeah. Forget about COVID. Mm. They've been dead for a while because everybody wants to come back into social environments, into large areas. Like, look at St. Pete downtown. That's where everybody wants to be. But it's exploded. And, and there's a reason for that because people crave human interactions. But you're, there's this debate going on. Are we going to go back into a high-rise building? Um, to what extent are we going to do that? Maybe we look at the suburbs. And so we're, we're, there's a lot of those conversations that are going on. I think at the end of the day, they're going to come back right to downtown St. Pete. They're going to come back to Manhattan. They're going to come back for all the reasons that they were there before. They just might not have known the reason for that. And it really is about social interaction. And it's about their employees, like being in the middle of something and feeling like they're part of something. I think you get that. You definitely don't get that on a Zoom meeting. Yeah. And I'm not sure you get that in a suburban office park. So they might experience a little bit of a short-term renaissance. Um, and maybe some people that stick there. I don't know. We're just going to have to wait to see how it shakes out. But the office mark's not dead. Don't listen to people no. tell you that. What do you think for the next 12 to 24 months that's coming through with retail and office? Retail, I'll, I'll, I mean, let's forget about retail because mm. it, it's a, nothing has changed in retail yeah. with COVID. The only difference is that COVID has accelerated that move towards, uh, towards the internet. So anybody who's in a big box is going to be continued to have pressure on there. But look, man, that was happening before COVID. Yeah, yeah. Target was already doing these smaller footprint stores. Bed, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, Best Buy, go down a list of them. They already had a plan for how to deal with the internet. They're, they're growing the internet exp their, their exposure. They're decreasing their footprint. There's nothing in retail that's unusual right now, other than restaurants. Is, it, restaurants is an interesting uh, piece of, of, uh, of, of retail. Restaurants, you're closed. Again, all this did was expedite the process. All those 80 concepts, 70s concept restaurants were really kind of first generation restaurants because understand that most people ate at home in 1955 where they ate in a cafe. And so we have this exposure, this explosion from McDonald's uh, to fast food, you know, all the subways. And then that kind of emerged into um, your white, your white tablecloth, your white tablecloths got crushed. They got crushed. And, and also your, your seventies uh, and eighties brands are tired and they were going out of business before COVID too. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, Bennigan's is an example of that, but they're all, everybody's going the way of Bennigan's. TGF Fridays are all, everybody's going, they're, they're, those older concepts, they run their course and then they have to, they have to evolve. But COVID has expedited that. So I think we're going to see a feeding frenzy on the retail side uh, with, the, with the next generation of restaurant. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens there because there's going to be some vacancies on the restaurant side and there's going to be some opportunity. For investors, there's opportunity. For new operators, there's going to be opportunity that's happening now. We're in the middle of it. We're trying to do a lot of prospecting right now to, to get it, you know, get to networking with the restaurant operators and also the owners of these folks who might have owned a steak and shake for 30 years and have basically been clipping a coupon on their returns. Mm. Uh, but they're in their late 70s and 80s now, and they're they're like, okay, well, we got notification that steak and shake's not opening again, and they're gonna they're not gonna renew the lease. And so we have to figure out what we're going to do. It's going to be a major rework on the building. But these locations were first generation, so they're terrific locations. Mm. They're going to be an opportunity for the investors to come in and say, okay, well, we're going to carve this up because we don't need a 4,200 square foot footprint anymore. What we need 
is is uh, to split this into two pieces, and then we're going to have a small white tablecloth and a Jimmy John's next to it, or whatever it's going to be, yeah. um, and some other retailer. But it's it, it's going to take somebody with some vision to come in there and take over some of these eighty concepts, which eighties and seventies concepts, which tend to be a much bigger footprint than 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 uh, yeah. than what people are asking for now. So there's opportunities there on the on the uh, restaurant side, but it's going to be a real. You ask for 12 to 24 months. I think that's what's going to be happening most in, in the retail side. The restaurant's going to be a, there's going to be a lot. You're going to see increase in turnover, a lot of new faces coming in as the COVID sort of starts to wind down, and and folks coming in. We're seeing it now, seeing folks coming into Florida and banging on doors and seeing what what can we get, what can we do. You know, we're trying to expand our our our, our brand and you know we want to we want to add locations. So. Yeah. That's what's going to happen in retail. On so, the office space, you, we we talked about. Yeah. So on you you uh, gave one example there of a I guess it was a triple net lease uh, individual site like a steak and shake that was being repurposed. Sure. What other opportunities for investors are out there for repurposing? Um, like for example, I used to see a lot of uh, investors they go warehouse space, they make it into self storage. It was repurposed, whole different thing, um, especially up in the Northeast where you had a lot of vacant yeah, factory right. space. Yeah. Where, what are you seeing now where investors are coming in and getting creative and uh, repurposing and uh, making things work again that maybe, like you said, the un- mall under the roof not working anymore? Well, I think a lot of it's already shaken out on the retail side. The big boxes have downsized or left. And, and, and you know, there was some repurposing there. You saw some uh, self-storage come in and take over some of those churches and other sorts of things they've been doing trying to repurpose. But I can talk to you about where the demand is industrial and if there's some way you can figure out to rezone one of these sort of borderline zones between you know heavy retail and light commercial and you can figure out how to convert that there there's there are so many there's such a massive demand for warehouse Mm. space of all sides But the biggest pressure, of course, is in the smaller sizes. That's two to four thousand square foot mm. space uh, that would house a, you know, a plumber, a, mm. a handyman, a, 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 a drywall company, plumbing company, etc. There's nothing available in that five thousand. There's just nothing. Uh, it's hard. Um, and so those were the opportunities. If you can figure out how to turn that, um, if you can figure out how to turn the your Rubik's cube to make it work, there's tremendous opportunity mm. there. Tremendous. Yeah. The other thing too, within industrial that I've seen is huge. And I was reading and I was talking to some people about it and they were saying that uh, industrial in Florida is obviously, there's so much demand for it, but especially specific parts of industrial, like cold storage, which is another thing that just feeds on the whole thing from, um, which was accelerated by COVID sure. with food being delivered and everything else. And so there's so many different facets within industrial that people are using as well is someone that needs uh, to park two trucks or three trucks or four trucks. The only other place they'd have to go would be self-storage and it would cost them you know, a ton of money to do that. Whereas they could actually buy industrial park their stuff inside of it, which is amazing. I have never even looked into that. That's a uh, very interesting. Charles, are most of your listeners in Florida? Are they all over the country, the world? Uh, they're all, we've got about uh, 60% in, um, in the U S and 40% abroad. And uh, I would say the largest portion is in Florida in the United States. I, and the reason I asked that, I asked that is, and I, I tell anybody who listens, this is the, best time and the best place to be in real estate in the world along the i4 i4 corridor which is 
some people call it the uh, the I four triangle, and so, so let's let's call the triangles a little bit bigger footprint. But from Jacksonville to Tampa to Orlando, that area really Jacksonville uh, to Tampa to let's say Daytona Beach, New Smyrna area, mm-hmm. and that triangle. Every major institutional player is in this market because they understand this is where the growth is. Uh, COVID has expedited that situation. If people, people are complaining right now on the residential side that, that housing prices have increased, you haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. It's going to get a lot worse. And, and, and so whether you're owning multifamily or you're owning res, uh, single-family residential or you're owning a, a, you know, a you know, 15-unit uh, small uh, space or industrial space for a tradesman, doesn't matter. There's going to be tremendous pressure uh, over the next five years. COVID's expedited all those folks in New York that were maybe they're 60, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, I wait to move to Florida. They're not waiting right now. They're like, I'm not going to get stuck here again, and I, I, I need a place to go to, and we were going to retire in Florida anyway, so let's go ahead and just go ahead and acquire now. You're going to see an acceleration of asset prices worse than it is now. I said this before COVID, and I got hate mail for some of my listeners. They're like, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah, I do. You, Whenever you get stimulus, and I, you listen, anybody who thinks that, have you ever heard of the uh, um, uh, Dunning-Kruger? Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Dunning-Kruger before? Yeah, I've read, I've read about it before. I haven't, uh, I okay. haven't looked in here. Yeah. So, so I'm kind of stepping over the line a little bit here. I'm engaging a little Dunning-Kruger. Dunning-Kruger, there were two researchers that basically said, the more confidence that you have in your position and your knowledge, the probably the least accurate you are. <laughs> <laughs> so when you hear people pounding the table and say, oh, I'm right, I'm right, usually they're wrong. But, but I was right here. I mean, it's like so blind squirrel, you know, finds the nut every once in a while. This happens to have been my, one of mine. Um, it's a, uh, you know, it's, 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 when you have stimulus, you have people already, people moving to Florida, that freight train has been running down tracks and you put a super turbocharger on it. We live in a single family environment in Florida and people can have COVID all they want. Never going to get infected because they go out, be quarantined, walk around their lawn, put it outside, get their little, you know, wading pool out and fill it up with water and sit out in the sun and get their vitamin D and, and, and never be affected by this type of situation ever again. And so you've got an acceleration. You have $1.9 trillion of stimulus, more stimulus going on that was before that. And we're seeing the results of that. And it's, it's the next 12 to 24 months in the state of Florida. I don't know where it's going to end. It usually sends, things ends in bubbles, right? Yeah. Usually end up in an acceleration, pricing goes parabolic, and then people get stupid. All of a sudden, you're... Uh, you know, your, your housekeeper starts speculating on flipping houses. <laughs> and the next thing you know, they're, someone's whole, the, the music stops and somebody's left standing. Usually a lot of people are left standing. Mm-hmm. So that's probably where it ends. But it's not going to be that situation for the next 12, 24 months. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Been saying am- that. Been saying yeah. that since the first stimulus. Yeah. It's amazing. There's so much money coming into it. We have one asset in Tampa and we have three brokers pretty much knocking down our door for this uh, 60 unit property that we have there and paying almost giving us offers of almost twice of what we purchased it for. Sure. And it's, it's completely nuts. Um, 
Well, that aside, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. That um, are you seeing anything else with in regards to like uh, when you, you guys do a lot of? Do you guys work with land and development, anything like that? Where are yeah. people going to? Are they going out more, or are they trying to? I mean, where are people starting to uh, work in commercial developments outside of Tampa? Is it? Uh... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, you're seeing uh, the, the the previous governor basically turned up growth management, you know, turned, tore up the growth management act, and uh, made it much easier. We're seeing the results of that. Um, not sure that's good. We, you know, it's it, it, we went back to what we did in 1980, which was growing before the infrastructure was in place. Mm-hmm. And I know developers love it, but I'm not sure it's good for us. I'm not sure it's good for the people who actually live here. You end up getting stuck in, in traffic. What's in the South Bay right now in Tampa? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's going to take you an hour and a half to, to drive 30, 30 miles to work. Um, and you cannot build roads fast enough to keep pace with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but that is what's going on. They're going out further again. We had reined that in to some degree and tried to build more, more density inside of our urban cores in Florida uh, and waited for that, that transit uh, component to the infrastructure component to catch up. And of course that was all, that was all trash. So we're, we're, we're basically off to the races again. And um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a, a good thing for the people here, yeah. but I mean, it is good for builders and it's good for construction and um, it's good for people, people that have a need for housing, big need. So, yeah. So uh, what mistakes do you commonly see newer and experienced real estate investors make? You know, I'll talk about my asset classes. Because what we'll see frequently are people dabbling from the residential side into the commercial side. Hmm. And they are night and day different. And they'll see an office complex in Plant City. Um, for the folks that don't know, Plant City's a now a suburb of Tampa, really, but it's it's its own little town. But it's not a hotbed of office activity. And they'll see that property and it's 20, 30% lower than, than, than uh, construction costs, to, you know, replacement costs to build it. And they think that must be, must be mismanaged. No, people in Plant City don't go to an office anymore. <laughs> They're not going to an office in Plant City, except for your doctors. And, um, and even then, we've had major shifts in medical office. That used to be, that was, Obamacare killed that. Obamacare killed the investor market in the in the in the uh, in the medical in the medical market. So people will see those too. Well, it's a doctor's office. Doctor will leave in here. No, they won't. That ended with Obamacare. That 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 parade is over. Um, you've got some you know a handful of doctors. The market's much smaller. It's much much smaller than it used to be. Because doctors, because of the bureaucracy on the medical side of the business, are forced into the daycare into the into the large institutional handlers to be able to process their work. So what you're seeing is more specialty doctors, your concierge doctors. Um, you know, you're seeing, uh, you know, maybe somebody a podiatrist that doesn't offer something else that's sort of outside of the Obamacare. They're t- they're there still, but not in the numbers they used to be. 
So we see people acquiring those, uh, those assets thinking, oh, look how cheap it is. It's cheap for a reason. Um, and, and that's what I see people making their forays into. They just don't understand the levers of what's happening with these individual asset classes and assume because they're buying it cheap that all of a sudden they're going to be able to make money out of it. They'll be able to turn it around. That's not the case. These C, these C asset classes that are office, um, you know, uh, retail, they're tough spaces. They're tough spaces. And uh, you, better, you better make sure you are peeling back the onion before you make an investment in those. Why? They're not, they're not performing. Yeah. The concierge doctor thing is huge. I had one of my old uh, doctors that was a part of their practice that was, um, or a uh, patient of the practice that uh, went to it and it just simplifies. They're going from several hundred clients to hundred and they're cutting down office space and all, all this kind of stuff that goes with it to make it a more, and you just pay a, a flat fee as one of the patients for an uh, more, uh, more specialized, I guess, a more personal service. But um, so my last question here before wrapping up, which I always like to talk to commercial brokers. So if an investor reached out to your brokerage interested in investing in properties, what could they do to show you that they were a serious investor that you would warrant your time? Wow, that's an interesting question. We know we, we look, I mean, literally every day we get investor calls. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I apologize to you in advance if I've not returned your phone call. Um, but it's just, it's a reality situation. We can only handle what we can handle. And somebody who's inexperienced, you might get a polite call back, but there's not going to be, there's not going to be a lot of seriousness taken. Um, if, if you're, if it's a, if it's a new investor, they have to have, what, what I want to hear from them is that they have their financing. They know what they want. They know why they want it. And there has to be a business purpose behind why they're doing what they're doing. Because if we're having to educate them on the asset class, we'll go bankrupt doing that. There's too many people out there looking. I wish there were something better. We started our, our podcast, the Invest Florida Show, for that reason. To try to say, hey, we've got somebody like you. Listen to this and we'll kind of educate you a little bit. And then if you're still interested, narrow your focus and come back and talk to us keeps those conversations short. The, the challenge is that commercial is a big boy game. And the, 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 the nice asset classes, you're well north of a million dollars. You don't have the advantage of the debt markets that you have on the, on the residential side because the debt markets are much tighter. It requires much more equity down. And so folks that are just sort of like thinking about migrating their from multifamily over or from single family over, there are so many hurdles for them to overcome that it's usually not worth, we know what's going to happen. 19 out of 20 times that person's going to, they're going to, we're going to spend an hour or two with them and then they'll disappear. So we don't entertain those folks. I mean, it's, it's sort of one of those things they have to have their ducks in a row. They have to know what they want, why they want some sort of business plan in their financing line. If that's the case then we might, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to them. Um, and, and then there's an opportunity. But it's just, it's a very steep learning curve. It's a steep equity curve. You have to have a lot more equity. You got to you know, come in ready to, to play that game. And, uh, and you have to, and the bank situation is completely different. Completely different. Um, usually, you know, hometown banks or God forbid, Bank of America that you're having to deal with. Um, and you've got to, you know, you, you have to have 
you have to have that letter from them that you're ready to go. And they, and they're, and they bought your business plan. Right. Well, there's no point in talking to us really. Yeah. yeah it's really, they got to have that relationship with local bank or with the local credit union. And um, obviously that, uh, you know, that, there's a lot more money and then a lot more money that they're going to have to put down. Like you said, a lot more equity that's going to have to take bigger down payments uh, for better assets. There's going to be even more compressed of a cap rate. So the returns aren't going to look as sexy, I guess it was back in residential. So yeah. And whole different management. And the other thing too, is I've had, I have some mixed use properties and I got financing all from local banks and um, it's a much different animal renting out a commercial unit than it is I, can, I, I used to joke, I can rent out like a you know, small complex, uh, residential complex over the weekend, right? But with commercial, for good commercial tenants that are actually going to be there for the five years or whatever it was, um, that is not an easy thing to come along, come, come and find. And I don't think people understand that when they're going into it. And um, when I'm always looking at mixed use properties, you always have the commercial sometimes up north, always be vacant, and then it'd be 100% occupied in the residential. And because a lot of older landlords, mom and pops don't even want to deal with the commercial. So it's, um, that's awesome. Okay. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your company? Yeah. I, first of all, I would start with our, with our, with our podcast. I mean, mm-hmm. we're a little different that, you know, we've had the show for I think seven or eight years. I don't remember lose track of time, but we cover the state of Florida and although it's good for anybody, I don't care. You, you know, you can get ideas from our show, even if you're in Michigan or Washington or United Kingdom, it doesn't matter. You get ideas from us, but we cover specific markets in Florida. So if you're interested in investing in the, in the state of Florida, uh, all, of our, all of our guests will talk about the asset class and the areas around the state that they're investing in and why. And so I think really that's the best place to start, the investfloridashow.com. And that, that's, that's a, you can kind of get a flavor for what we're about. If you want to talk about the, the commercial real estate side and you're already, you know, you're, you're already ready to like make a decision or you want to talk to us about one of your properties or you know, an investment strategy, we're at uh, roireal.estate. That's www.roireal.estate. No.com, it's just roireal.estate. And uh, you can contact us through there. And we can help you. We've got, and I think we're up to about seven or eight agents now. And, um, and we can help you pretty much in every asset class. I don't want to say SANS multifamily because we still do some multifamily. Mm-hmm. We're just not, we don't have anybody concentrating in it. And the, uh, the market that we were engaged in, in when, the, when the, was a feeding frenzy from 2012, as you know, from 2012 mm-hmm. to like 2017, um, all that pent up demand of s- potential sales from, you know, 2008 to 2012 before the credit markets uh, loosened up. Um, so we still do some, maybe one or two a year, but it's not a, it's not a focus of ours. Anymore. Okay. Yeah, definitely check out their show. It's very good. Uh, Eric and his co-host, Steven, they kind of go through all the different guests and then they give a little summary of it afterwards. So I will put the link to both the show and then Eric's brokerage in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on, Eric. Hey, Charles, great talking again, brother. Good luck to you, man. Yeah, thank you to you too. Have a great rest of your day. Bye, buddy. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars Incorporated exclusively.